everybody, and welcome to an evolved wild ride with Steve. We've got Moby, and man, we weren't ready for him to talk about his beef with Eminem in quite the fashion that he did. Plus, I had no idea that I was going to fall in love with him just so much, man. What a wonderful, humble guy, and what a punk rock dude. What a thoughtful dude. I mean, this one really was such a treat. And, hey, man, it wasn't my idea for him to reignite his beef with Eminem. <laughs> yeah, dude, let's get into it. Here in the back corner. Hey. Watch your head. Okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right here on this mic. She's a chiller. She'll probably bail at some point. Um, so what is this place? Seven. <laughs> this is, uh, this is our mobile studio, which we bring to, to our guests for convenience. And, uh, here, can you angle that up? Would you like a water? Um, Sparkling water? I might at some point, but for now I think I'm okay. Sure. Okay, we'll, good. we'll keep it by you in the cup holder. Yeah, okay. I'll take one. Thank you. Yeah. Um, where are you guys coming from? <laughs> right down the road. <laughs> where? Um, Hollywood Hills, uh, Lake Hollywood. Okay. Yeah, you, that's the first place I lived. Yeah, you had that crazy mansion there. Yeah. Wow, dude. Like, sometimes we go hiking around the lake, there's that trail, and, and it's just like, that's Moby's house. And then wasn't one house Madonna? She had, there's like a giant weird castle at the other end of the lake. Uh -huh. And that was hers. Mm. Um, right. Well, then let's just dive into it. Great. Ladies and gentlemen, Moby. Hi, Wendy. Hi. Yeah, dude. It's and Wendy. Good to see you. And Wendy, of course. <laughs> Wendy from Peru. Hi. Um, we, we've got we've got a little bit of a history. Well, so from my recollection, and maybe I'm mistaken, I think the first time we met was one of the most interesting meet cutes. <laughs> it was in Saint Petersburg, Russia, and I was on tour. Sorry, Wendy, um, and I was getting ready to go to sleep, trying to be a responsible touring musician it was around 11 o'clock at night which in st petersburg in june means the sun was shining mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the phone rings and i pick up my phone in the hotel room and it's johnny knoxville saying hey moby it's johnny knoxville we've never met but i'm here with all the jackass the, it, it was wild boys and i think to, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, not sure if we, I'm not sure if we made this clear we're talking about russia <laughs> yeah russia yeah st petersburg, petersburg not, russia. not florida not florida right, <laughs> right. right. And, and and we were filming wild boys the year was 2005 i don't think that i was um part of uh the program but wasn't it like just a debaucherous drunken night it I mean, I got sober in 2008, yeah, and too. so 2005, every night was a drunken debaucher's <laughs> night, but this in particular, like, going out in St. Petersburg, and one of the only things I remember from the middle of my quasi-blackout was we ended up in a nightclub, and they were having a dance competition, and you ran on stage and took off most of your clothes and joined the dance competition. Okay. <laughs> You sounds about right. I guess. <laughs> I mean, that checks yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> you don't remember this. The that. audience was so polite 
they just sort of stood there like <laughs> baffled as to what was going on. Like there's this sort of half naked, crazy drunk monkey running around on stage. <laughs> well, it's yeah. Russia too. You yeah. Know? Right. What, what I remember <clears throat> and I think it was the next day that I had seen some Russian store um, was selling a, a cast iron, like complete replica nine millimeter handgun that when you pulled the trigger, uh, a flame came out of the barrel. It was just a lighter, but it was a cast iron nine millimeter replica gun. I was just fascinated by it, so I bought it. And I believe it was when everybody was just terribly hungover <clears throat> that <clears throat> from, from partying with Moby all night. The next day, we go to the airport. And just when we go to, to go into the airport, I take the cast iron 9mm replica and just put it in the carry-on bag. <laughs> I put it in the carry-on bag of our of our line producer, like our our uh, our super uptight, like red tape conscious, mm -hmm. you know, like no fun police, like you can't do this, you can't do that, like not not a creative guy, but an uptight guy. And so I just, is he is he still in Russia? <laughs> <laughs> I dropped it in there and like and and at a certain point when he went through security, there were like cops running from like every direction of the airport like 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 this was probably the meanest prank i've ever pulled on somebody <laughs> yeah but still i mean okay and the fact that it's russia like that would have been yeah. bad in the united states and any other country but like yeah i mean it is on my long list of crippling fears being thrown in a Russian prison is up near the mm -hmm. top. Right. For sure. Man, especially these days. But but an, an, enough about that. I um it's it's crazy we got we both got sober in 2008. Yeah, I think you beat me by about 6 months. I got okay. sober October 2008. Right. Yeah, I'm March 10th, 2008. Okay. So 6 and the other thing that we have in common is we're both sort of natives of Darien, Connecticut. Oh, how about that? Yeah, <laughs> which per capita has the greatest number of oddball public figures. So Darien, Connecticut, you know, the waspiest, preppiest, most affluent town probably in the world. Population, I think, 14,000. So you lived there for a while. I, I lived did. there for a while. Gus Van Zant was from there. Mm. Robert Downey Jr.'s from there. <laughs> Ann Coulter, the crazy right-wing uh -huh. Fox News person, is from there. <laughs> Chloe Sevigny. Um, Jesus. On and on and on. All these weird, dysfunctional public figures from this little town of 15,000 people. And, and on top of that, like, I believe our immediate neighbors in Darien were responsible for some, like, super high-profile, prolific murder case. Oh, Where? Cause I, 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 I want to say we lived on Tulip Tree Lane. Yep. Okay. I think you're thinking of I, I. His first name was Pat, and I can't remember his last name. Oh, this was when I was in high school, and it's such a gruesome story. So there was this adopted kid named Pat, and he was one like when you know when you go to high school or junior high school, and there's like the kids who just terrify you. Mm -hmm. and granted, I was scared of everything, but there were those kids who were extra scary. 
he was one of those. Like one of the kids in the parking lot, like smoking cigarettes and like strangling kittens. Um, And so one day he got in an argument with his mom. I guess he was a junior or senior in high school. And he did what any person does when you get in an argument with your parent in high school. He killed her with an axe. And then his dad came home and he killed his dad with an axe. And because he wasn't the brightest guy in the world, he dragged their bodies into the backyard, set them on fire to try and dispose of the evidence, and got into their car and left. His sister came home to find her parents burning in the backyard. She put them out with a garden hose and called the police, and they found this guy a mile away sleeping in his car. Jesus. Oh my God! He's tired. Yeah. And I think that was my neighbor. Yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah, that, was on, that was on that was on Tulip Tree Lane. Yeah. And wow. then you went to high school with him. I think he was a, maybe a year older or a year younger. But yeah, we like one of those people you just sort of knew. Yeah. Like on a primordial instinctive level, like just stay away For from. Sure. Don't make jokes around this person because, like, there were the the tough kids who would punch you and push you into the locker and then there's the other people like this where you're afraid that they're going to like stab you to death in your sleep yeah did you ever play with this guy as a neighbor i don't, I don't know I, i'm not even sure what the timeline is of the murders compared to when we lived there maybe yeah I, I don't know how old I, were you when you were in Connecticut? dude I, I moved there when i was four and left there when i was six okay so uh, how old are you now i'm 57 57 I'm 48 so that that checks out I was in like kindergarten and you were going into high school yep yeah crazy man yeah wait a minute and what uh what what a eloquent telling of that story uh, I, I well, love that <laughs> the one thing I will say in telling the story is you're allowed to be really dry and boring in the beginning of the story because it goes to such an unexpected place yeah you know you can be like oh well he was kind of scary you know Scared me in high school. By the way, he murdered his parents and set them on fire in the backyard. Yeah, hmm. I I love your art, man. I, I don't know if you if you saw at one point. I just felt compelled to tweet, totally unsolicited tweet, that Moby is my favorite Pandora station. Just type in Moby, click play, and that that's. I just. Put that out in the universe. Wow, thank I'm, you. I'm having a Maynard moment. Way to go. Here we go again. <laughs> but, but there are there are enough people who hate me that that's actually kind of an act of bravery. Like to oh, come out wow. and say that you like me, I feel like there are a lot of, a lot of people who actively dislike me, so... Man, that that it makes me sad to to hear you say that. I I think you're great, man, and and I love your. I really love your music. It, it is like um my just the best um uh, you know just energy. It's not like super like bummer. It's not like crazy. It's just like well, thanks. Groovy. Now, why would you say that? A lot of people just <laughs> genuinely dislike you just because just of the based music. Based on or? evidence. <laughs> based on being a lot. It's, and, and yeah, I mean, I work under the assumption that some people don't dislike me. But uh, yeah, over the years, people have made it pretty 
clear that, you know, some people really don't like me very much. Um, going way back, you know, a couple of decades, Eminem being the most famous example mm. of that. Strap on your seatbelts, folks, because this Eminem talk is going to get crazy. And I think we all know Eminem has command over language. But how many languages, right? Does Slim Shady know what this means? Uh, Le esta gustando mi podcast, which means, are you enjoying my podcast in Spanish? And I know that because of Babbel, the new sponsor of the Wild Ride podcast. And let me tell you, I tried Babbel. It, it's uh, an app that helps you learn new languages. And man, my experience with it, my first experience, I'm like, wow, it's like playing a video game that teaches you how to speak a new language in as little as three weeks. They had scientists studies that said that using the Babbel program for 15 hours is the equivalent of an entire semester course in college to learn a new language. And did you know that one in five people have on their bucket list learn a new language? I mean, dude, I decided to give it a shot. I already meditate every day. I do yoga every day. Why not spend five or 10 minutes playing a video game that teaches me a new language. And if you want to try it, man, the listeners of the Wild Ride podcast get 55% off their subscription. If you go to babbel.com slash Stevo, that's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Stevo. Rules and restrictions apply. But again, listeners of the Wild Ride podcast, 55% off your subscription for a very limited time. So jump on it and let's get back to it. That didn't help. Yeah. I so don't know that I, I, I think that. that in the whole Eminem thing, I I think that was an L for Eminem, honestly. Well, because if you think about the world of like hip hop, kind of like gangster rap, like it's it's very like tough, you know, like to beef with moby there's no street cred in that <laughs> even so so one time he kind of public and i'm i have nothing against eminem i think he's really talented i certainly i, I almost don't have an opinion about him but he attacked me at an mtv music awards like 20 years ago and the next day uh i was listening to howard stern and howard stern said exactly what you said it's like who wants to pick on moby <laughs> you know it's like picking on like the weak kid who doesn't know how to tie his shoelaces like right it's it, just not but gangster. i think i think eminem's mo at that point was just like okay i'm gonna pick on anybody who's successful mm. you know what i mean just i to, don't know about that yeah but the I thing is it was like britney spears in sync backstreet boys all like those Fred Durst. People, people who couldn't fight back yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah but it's like hating on you is like it's like <laughs> you're not malicious in anything that you do and it's like somebody like like uh, you're an artist and so that's like somebody not liking picasso's artwork and just fucking hating picasso because they don't like their artwork i mean like why would somebody dislike you so much for no reason i can't remember what the specifics of the eminem thing was but but did he have any reason well yeah i kind of provoked him to be in the spirit of full disclosure so so if you remember in the late 90s there was this culture of weird misogyny and homophobia like all of a sudden like rock bands etc were like writing songs that were weirdly misogynistic and homophobic Mm -hmm. 
And I, having been raised by progressive hippies, I was a little surprised by this. Mm -hmm. And I spoke out about this because Eminem had songs about killing gay people mm -hmm. and killing women and putting them in the trunk of his car. And I was like, maybe this is not setting the best example for the 13-year-olds listening to Eminem. And then um, he got upset that I criticized him. And this is where maybe the whole—I'm going to throw myself under the bus a little bit. I thought this was really funny. <laughs> but he clearly did not. Is I was doing an MTV interview and the journalist asked me, like, why does Eminem have such an issue with you? And I said, I don't know, maybe he's closeted and he just wants to make out with me. Uh -huh. <laughs> so that might have been my equivalent of, like, pouring kerosene on the fire. Sure. Right. So, so in his case, maybe he has a very good reason to not like me. But I thought I was just being funny, but clearly I'm not. Have you have you ever ran mm -hmm. into him since or nope. nothing? Nothing. He's also in our yeah. cult of sobriety. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to to hear that there was uh and anyway, yeah, I wouldn't even be surprised if it happened and just didn't come up because we sort of leave that stuff on the other side. But I don't think there could be an amends there. <laughs> <laughs> Probably from both, we we could do a mutual amends, yeah, like a, a reach around amends. It, it, it's um, it, it's it's really pretty rare, I think, that like when you do come to somebody to acknowledge that you were wrong, I think the majority of the time that person meets you in the middle and acknowledges their part too. Oh boy, yeah. I mean that, you know, to to shift from very lighthearted and fun, hopefully funny to very earnest, like the ninth step, which is yeah. that the amends step. Sure. Oh my God, it's one of the most powerful things I've ever done. Like reaching out to people who I was convinced, like they hated me and I honestly made amends to them and they started crying. Mm. Wow. You know, and it's so powerful and, and transformation. I don't know if you ever, if you had that experience as well. We are all in the club. <laughs> oh, you're all, you're all in the, the, yeah. the 12 step cult. Yeah. 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 We, uh, we're, we're all in the club. We all are, are big believers in, in the steps. And um, a, as transformational as the ninth step is, I think that it's really, f for me, um, it, it was the inventory, the fourth and fifth step, where, yeah. where I realized, wow, I'm actually the creator of my situation that I'm in. Yeah, I remember because I had this very old school sponsor and I, when we sat down to do the fourth step, he was like, okay, just write down your resentments. Yep. And I was like, you know what? I was a philosophy major in school. I'm sort of a Taoist. Like, I don't have any resentments. And he said, you know, you might just start writing. 20 pages later, I was still <laughs> writing yeah. resentments. So like, you're absolutely right. And then when the act of sharing fears, sharing resentments, because... Yeah. Up until that point, and I don't know what your guys' experience was, I assumed that my fears and resentments were things to be ashamed of that no one else had. And the more time I spent with my sponsor and going to meetings, I realized, oh, everybody has this, the same fears, the same shame, this, you know, the same resentment. Largely. Yeah, I, I, I had the same experience as you. I was kind of like, you know, with the four-step. But it wasn't until I was like, man, I really don't have anything... On paper and somebody was like well you should write about yourself and myself was the biggest resentment of all mm -hmm. and that was like that was eye-opening for me because i was like i thought i love myself and i'm i'm sitting here writing like a maniac of you know how resentful i am of myself well someone sent me a, 
a tweet, a screenshot of a tweet yesterday. And by the way, I just feel like the most middle-aged nerd in the world quoting screenshots of tweets. <laughs> but the tweet was, would you take $50,000 if it meant giving $100,000 to the person you hate most in the world? And the person's response was, well, why wouldn't I want to give myself $150,000? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Man, I love it. When I, when I wrote my resentment list and, and took it to my sponsor, um, it, it turned out, I, I really thought that these people had wronged me. And, and, and then as, as I told the stories of each case, the, my sponsor said, hmm, you know, like, it sounds like they didn't really do anything wrong and, and that you owe them an amends. And, and the totality of the situation was that I had written down a list of people who did nothing but try to help me, and I had just shit all mm -hmm. over them in the worst way, and then I tried to say I'm mad at them. And and it and it, it turned out to be an exercise of like holding up a mirror and me seeing the reality of the situation. Were you pissed at the guy that you put the the smuggled the gun in Russia? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how, how dare he not lock his carry-on yeah. luggage? <laughs> it's just a joke. Yeah. You know. And and I, I can think of somebody who is is in that kind of same mind frame of that's it, you and you and you. It's mad at everybody, but actually everybody has just done mm -hmm. nothing but try to help him. And, and I think that the point I'm making is that it was super transformational for me in the fourth and fifth step to finally see and accept my responsibility and to, to get to taking accountability for it. And, and I don't know if you guys did this as well, but I was told by my sponsor that all I could do is keep the focus on what I had done wrong. Yeah. Sure. You know, because like when I was making amends to an ex-girlfriend, like we had had this terrible relationship like one of those dysfunctional like drugs and infidelity and just we were, were mean to each other but couldn't i guess it's codependent crystal meth too a lot, all sorts of things <laughs> anything i mean at times you know from ghb to pcp to whatever crossed our transom mm -hmm. and i thought okay well she cheated on me so therefore i'm justified in doing what i did you know, that I cheated on her. Mm -hmm. And my sponsor said, no, when you make amends to her, you don't mention anything she's done. Mm -hmm. And it was such a hard process mm -hmm. because you wanted to say like, well, sure, I did this bad thing, but you did this. Mm -hmm. right. But by not saying that, she broke down in tears and it was this incredibly powerful moment for both of us mm -hmm. where we admitted like, oh, we were both terrible to each other. Like, and yeah. it wasn't reciprocal. It was just that we're unevolved feral monsters yeah. <laughs> what what was your uh deciding factor on getting sober like what was rock bottom like for you you know it's weird i didn't have a dramatic rock bottom uh i mean okay <laughs> i did but it was every day mm -hmm. you know it was basically every day i would wake up around four or five in the afternoon and my first thought every single time I woke up was disappointment that I hadn't died in my sleep because the <laughs> night before I would like take as many things as I could to try and die while I was asleep you know so I'd have like 20 or 25 drinks two or three hundred dollars worth of cocaine whatever drugs were given to me and then at nine o'clock in the morning handfuls of Vicodin and Xanax and I was like why 
won't I die? <laughs> you just wake like, up. You're just like, God damn it. Yeah. And I would get in the shower at 5 p.m. Just, and just say, fuck. Like, and I was saying, fuck, like I felt sick. I was so hungover. But also, fuck, why am I still alive? So many people would see that as being an example of unmanageability. For sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But and also just the hangovers. And again, I don't know your guys' experience, but as I got older, the hangovers were so bad. Like uh, not just feeling yeah. sick, but I couldn't string sentences together. Mm-hmm. I couldn't think straight. I couldn't like, you just felt like your brain and your body had been possessed by all, by just weird chemicals. And mm-hmm. so that, that's why. I had this thing going on, which I didn't actually, you know, see as a reason to get sober. Like, I I would get such terrible heartburn, and and that it would wake me up. I would be in, like, so much, like, pain from the heartburn that it would wake me up. I would go into the bathroom and make myself vomit, just all this, like, horrendous bile and just acid and then I would be able to go back to sleep. Maybe that's why I have the, the esophageal condition. But rather than see that as a sign to get sober, I went and talked to uh, <laughs> to uh, our JPR, Jackass Prop Master. I was like, man, I got this heartburn. It's like so bad. And JP said, I, I, I had heartburn really bad too. And you know, and then and then I quit drinking and it totally went away yeah and i looked at him and said but what am i gonna do <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah this sounds about right story dude i wasn't trying to be funny yeah. i was like literally but, but yeah but like anyway um so dude let me we, we got to talk about about veganism i've had uh my my journey. I'm sure you've you've heard of all about you know I'm vegan. Maybe maybe you heard or didn't hear, it, but I've gone back and forth between vegan and pescatarian. Um, I uh, have been super frustrated over, I think what I would describe as infighting in the mm-hmm. animal rights community, where like different kind of tiers of uh, subsets of of animal rights people feel that other animal rights people aren't doing enough and then bashing, you know, and it's like at a certain point feels like banging your head against the wall. Like, Hey, we're, we're all rowing in the right, we're all rowing in the same direction. And rather than fight with each other over who's not doing enough, how about if we just promote to everybody to just do more and, and identify what the real problem is you know like it's safe to say and i think this isn't just it's true for veganism it's true for animal rights it's true for progressive politics in general it's true for environmentalism like people attacking each other rather than looking at the bigger problem you know like every year one trillion animals are killed by and for humans isn't that a bigger issue than like someone at a vegan restaurant wearing leather shoes Hmm. You know, like, or someone who's been vegan for eight years yelling at someone who's been vegan for six years that they're still eating honey or something. You know, it's like right. focus on the real issue. But I, yeah, I mean, it's true for climate change. It's true for everything. Everyone just is pointing fingers at each other. And meanwhile, the actual problem doesn't get addressed. So, yeah, yeah so, 
yeah, I <laughs> understand fully what you're saying. Like, for example, I had a, an animal rights fundraiser a couple of years ago, and Reggie Watts came and performed as a favor to me, as a way of supporting it. Reggie's not a vegan, and he was attacked online Ugh. for not being a vegan. I was like, yeah, but he's coming and supporting this event. He's mm -hmm. performing for free. He's, you know, he drove himself down there. Like he, right. having his name on the bill helped us raise money. How dare you attack him when he's doing more to help this than the people who are attacking him? So like, I'm sorry that you're on the receiving end of that sort of criticism. I did, I guess it was a few years ago, I spoke at this, event for a, there's this one organization called direct action everywhere and they are the hardcore you know <laughs> they're like they're the real and I, lo I love what they do but they're very militant and there tends to be a lot of infighting mm -hmm. and i stood on stage in front of them and i said look i've been vegan for 36 years which i have and i said and i don't judge anyone here and i guarantee you everyone in the audience at some point was eating a big mac while i was vegan and I don't judge you. So if I'm not judging you, please stop judging and criticizing yeah. each other. The, the tipping point for me where I really, I had, I had a couple moments of extreme frustration. And one was um, when uh, I, I told, somebody asked me, are, are you still vegan? And I said, well, like I've, I've I, I reintroduced seafood into my diet. And I said, they were like really kind of struggling with that. And I said, you know, um, I, I, I believe that it's healthy for me to eat seafood. And I have cats that like really like I have to feed some kind of meat to my cats. And so I just figured like, okay. And, and this person like went online and I saw like, a, like an attack of me for like not doing enough and and all eating and 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 I actually snapped and I posted uh this this picture of me uh with all these veggies and it stuffed into a fridge and I just wrote vegans can be so annoying mm -hmm. and and, uh, and and that was my uh kerosene on the fire moment <laughs> um, I think that and, and then all of a sudden I had this like super like weird feeling of like oh man now like uh all the whole animal rights communities turned against me and it's just, it just feels silly, you know? I want everyone to just promote progress. Yeah. And um, the other thing that really upset me um, was this documentary that I was actually in. I had seen, I'd watched all the vegan documentaries. I was super champion of them all. You know, uh, meat, meat products cause cancer. C they, class, they, they, not frogs. Yeah, oh, I've been a part of every PETA <clears throat> campaign, all, all that, you know, um, and uh, the, the, all the vegan documentaries saying that it's, it's animal byproducts that cause cancer. And so I, I went to this, um, I want to say it was, a it was a Diabetes Association fundraiser event. And I showed up at the diabetes thing and they had a food laid out. And among the food laid out was a big platter of chicken. And I, I stormed out. 
I, I stormed out in, in protest. I said, serving chicken at a diabetes event is like serving alcohol at an AA meeting. Which it's, they do in Russia. And I was on t- this whole thing. And so then this documentary maker approached me and said, hey, could we get to you to tell that story about storming out of the diabetes event, you know, for this documentary to kind of bolster our scientific you know position that that meat causes cancer and it's all this bad stuff and, and i said of course and so, so now i'm in this documentary the documentary comes out and i watch it and they're, they're saying that you know eating a hot dog is worse than smoking two packs of cigarettes and like it it went so far into frankly bullshit that that i felt I felt really uh, betrayed. I felt used. I felt that, like, here I had bought on to all of this, uh, you know, scientific, you know, the scientific bullshit where, you know, and I became just so angry at the idea that these documentaries, I mean, clearly, why, why not just come out and say it, that you guys are want to be want more compassion for animals. Don't twist science and make documentaries that are telling people lies just aren't true because what about the people who became vegan because they watched the documentary? Then they found out everything that made them become vegan that was said in the documentary wasn't even true. They were lied to. And then now it's like, and I just feel like I, you know, I, I became the mouthpiece for this thing that was just not, it's just not, you know, they twist up science sometimes to try to help animals. And it, I think it's counterproductive. Yeah, twisting up facts is whack. And you know what doesn't twist up facts? is my whoop band, baby. This gives me more truthful information about my physical well-being than any other device on the planet. It's the most sophisticated fitness tracking device known to man. I swear by it. The new Whoop 4.0 is more sophisticated than ever. It tells me how oxygenated my blood is, if my skin temperature is in the right range. I mean, dude, it just goes on and on and on with all of the stuff about your sleep and your activities and your calories. Like, it's the best. And if you haven't tried it, then it's time, dude. It's time to get with the program by going to whoop.com. That's W-H-O-O-P.com. And use the promo code Stevo to get 10% off at checkout. All my buddies use it. We've got groups that we're in, and I'm killing it in the groups with my heart rate variability which you'll learn is a very important thing to know about your own body that's why you need to get on the whoop program so one more time go to whoop.com use the promo code stevo for 10 percent off at checkout and then show off to your buddies how help how healthy you are yeah dude let's get back to it yeah i mean there's a lot of distractions and having been involved in you know the animal rights movement for a long time and different other progressive movements is like it just i try to just sort of ignore the crazies you know because if you go to enough progressive events or animal rights event like there's 
bound to be some unstable people there. They're bound, and then they're bound to be the people who are just so passionate that they'll do anything. They'll lie, they'll cheat, they'll steal. And you're like, okay, maybe that's not the best strategy, but you sort of have to, I try to be, not to seem more enlightened than I am, but just try and be patient with people and, and their trajectory and their process. You yeah. know? Why did you become vegan 36 years ago? Uh, so I grew up like the way everyone grew up with the weird paradox of loving rescued. We had a house filled with rescued animals and I loved them unconditionally. Like animals were safe and animals were predictable and animals were rational in a way. Like if an animal got mad, you sort of knew why it was getting mad at you as opposed to like a drunk family member who would get mad because you showed up. (laughs) Um, and so I loved animals, but I loved Burger King and I loved pepperoni pizza. And then when I was 19, I was petting this rescue cat named Tucker. And all of a sudden I had this moment where I was like, oh, Tucker has two eyes and a central nervous system and such a rich emotional life. And by extrapolation, I then realized every animal has that. Every animal has two eyes and a central nervous system, wants to be alive and wants to be happy. So that was 1984 Mm -hmm. and I went vegetarian then. And then in 87, went vegan. And I've had periods of militant veganism, periods of not relaxed, but like periods of less militant veganism. And now it's just my idea is like, how do you do something on a daily basis in a sustainable way? You know, and that means not for me, not getting too distracted by like, if I'm angry about this, if I feel resentful about this, if I'm hurt by this i just sort of have to say like okay just keep going it's the one day at a time approach to i guess activism what's the problem with honey you're not harming depends on the depends on how well a very extreme animal rights person would say that every animal should live their own life without human interference Mm. i'm like yeah but the world is a very complicated place that's the militant vegan that's the very extreme one problem with commercial honey with is, is that oftentimes the people who are making like big giant commercial honey factories, it's cheaper to kill the bees every year than keep them alive over the winter. So okay. they will kill millions of bees because it costs less than keeping them warm and a lot. Cause during the winter bees don't really make honey. Is there a way to buy honey where you know the difference between these bees were killed and these weren't? I, my assumption is Extra like, virgin honey? Like like small <laughs> batch local honey, most likely that you have to assume the beekeepers are nice to their bees. Yeah. Like no one is making, like my friend Chuck, he's a brain surgeon, but he also makes honey and he has bees and he loves his bees and he takes more care of his bees than he does of himself or his family. <laughs> so you could look at this honey and say, as far as honey can be ethical, this is some pretty ethical honey. Like the bees are, I've seen the bees, they're super happy. Like, you know, they're very well looked after. They're kept warm in the winter. Um, So I would assume that like the smaller the batch of honey, the more ethically produced it is, but it will never be ethically produced enough for an an incredibly militant person to to eat it. Does Manuka honey come from bees? Yeah. Why is it so, it's like so healthy for you? Because it's from, I think it's from New Zealand. And I think that they, the bees who create Manuka honey are pollinating, is it tea tree? They're, they're pollinating oh, really? something very specific 
I don't know why it's called Manuka. Maybe it's a region, but like every type of honey, like you have like clover honey just means that the bees have been pollinating clover. Um, orange blossom honey means they're pollinating orange trees, etc. Right. Well, at least, I mean, or I could be completely mistaken, but that's. And so then, then you have what OO vegetarians where they, they, they eat eggs because it's not harming the chickens. They're just producing eggs and they're free range. You're not killing the chickens. Right. And again, it's, it's tricky. Like my aunt and uncle had chickens and these, I mean, I'm a vegan. I don't eat eggs. I don't eat honey, but I don't also like my aunt and uncle or my friend Chuck, who has bees, if he eats the honey, I can't really criticize him because these bees are super happy. My aunt and uncle who have chickens, they live in northwestern right. Connecticut. Um, these chickens are real happy. Like, they walk around, they lay eggs on, like, the roof of the car. They mm-hmm. are just very happy chickens. And if my aunt and uncle are eating those eggs, I'm certainly not going to yell at them and call them murderers, you know? <laughs> so right. I, um... I remember the first thing that got me started on my animal rights journey was working in the circus as a circus clown. And I felt that the the elephants, and particularly the tiger, that their situation was not something that that I agreed with. Do you want to hear a funny elephant story? Sure. Okay, but I, I'm, I'm interrupting. I'm sorry. Um, so, so save it. But, okay. Um, and I love it too. I need to be. I, I need to be interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you did tell me the. <laughs> He's making it right after all these times. Yeah. Okay, so here's a very quick elephant story. A friend of mine was working for this organization called Compassion Over Killing, and they were protesting. I think Ringling Brothers for having elephants. Because I guess they don't now. Anyway, right? They. But this is back when Ringling Brothers had elephants. And so my friend and her fellow animal rights activists, they chained themselves to the entrance to whatever arena, arena. Yeah. you know, and it was like the bottom of this big ramp and they chained themselves so no one could get in and out of this big ramp. They locked, you know, like locked themselves to this chain and the people, that this is kind of funny, the people who had the circus brought the elephants to the top of the ramp and had the elephants pee down the ramp. So my friends were like lying on the, the, the ramp, drenched in elephant pee. And apparently, you've had maybe, I've never I've, been I've around. Been, I've been peed on by elephants. Apparently it's not that pleasant. Not that bad. Yeah, you've so she said they're like, I've been, too, I've right? been peed and pooped yeah. on by elephants. I mean, granted, elephants are vegan. So generally speaking, yeah. the pee and poop, I mean, like, for example, cat pee and poop, as we all know, yeah. disgusting. Nothing against cats, but like their pee and poop is repulsive. Yeah, Whereas hamsters like, too. <laughs> but like elephants, like, they, yeah, I would imagine like they eat hay and but leaves, no. like their pee and poop's probably relatively benign. <laughs> right. Um, so sorry for interrupting, but that's my no, elephant no, I, pee I, story. I loved it. I loved it. Like I said, I need it. Um, and now, to be clear, elephants in their natural habitat will walk about a hundred miles a day. <laughs> Is mm-hmm. that right? And um, very, very social creatures. And then, like it, with the Ringling Circus, they're stuffed into these compartments on the train. Because the Ringling Circus would travel by train. The compartments that they're stuffed into are like about the size of their body, 
you know, for all of the traveling. And then they're chained and they can't walk like an author's just chained. And, and then when they are performing, what, what really bothered me in the circus that I worked in was that the the elephant handler, he had this stick, and at the end of the stick was tassels. But to be very clear, the tassels served no purpose but to disguise like what was called a bull hook. Mm-hmm. And they would like, you know, like he would use the hook to, and like under the, the like the armpit of the elephant, it was like a sensitive area and they would, you know, it just, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And the circus owners seemed to be more afraid of their own elephants than anybody else. Like they were like, first day I was there, stay the hell away from the elephant. Don't go anywhere near him. You know, and like I think that the elephants had even charged and like done some, and then, and then the tiger lived his whole life in one of two boxes. The, 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 the um, magic box where they had the tiger, they, they would wheel out this box and, and it appeared to be empty. Then they would put a cloth over the box and spin it around and then r- rip off the cloth. And now all of a sudden there's a whole tiger filling up the box. When in fact what it was was just like a mirror like on an angle that the tiger was like stuffed underneath. And then when the act was finished, then they would wheel the magic box back and then put it, transfer it from that, that box into the cage it lived in, the little box cage. And I remember one time, like, hectic transfers where, like, the tiger's freaking out. And, like, it just lived in these two boxes. It never <laughs> got to walk anywhere. And it, it, that, that really upset me. So I, I found myself at Tom Green's house. Um, at, you know, after Jackass came out and, and like I, I had a platform and, and I was drunk, I was like inhaling it and I just went on this tirade about how animals in the circus, like it's so wrong. And, and shortly thereafter, when that, you know, hit the internet, like some, a, a woman who I love so dearly, who at the time worked for PETA, a woman named Michelle Cho. And I'd be surprised yeah. if you don't know Michelle. Yeah, she lives around the corner. She reached out to me and she said, could I get you to tell that story about working in the circus for PETA? And I remember I had some, like, some answer like, oh, what, you know, like, get attention. Like, I'm an attention whore. Hell yeah. I'll, you know, like, uh, mm-hmm. so I get, so Michelle brings a little PETA camera crew over to the, over to my apartment. And, you know, I tell my circus tirade thing. And then after we wrapped up filming, I said to, to Michelle, I said, hey, you know, it occurs to me that maybe it's a little bit hypocritical that I just spoke on behalf of PETA on my sofa in my apartment, which is a leather sofa. But I want you to know, like, I, uh, like, because I eat beef, I think it makes sense to, you know, to use leather, you know, in the kind of Native American tradition of using the whole animal, you know, Mm -hmm. but, but... (laughs) But with that said, I, I told her, I said, but I don't eat mink, so I would never wear a fur coat, you know? Like, that's where I draw the line, and that's that, that, that was my rationale at that time. <laughs> she probably <laughs> smiled politely. <laughs> <laughs> no, what she said was, wow, that's great. Could I get you to wear, can I get you to do a... Uh, wear ink not fur or something an anti-fur camera i was like hell yeah so then the next thing i did is was uh i'd rather go naked than wear fur i've seen it campaign (laughs) (laughs) and um so so that so it was just like that was my journey it started just piece by piece like what i could digest then no no pun intended (laughs) yeah, yeah for sure 
and and then um, I had like my my drug and alcohol situation got drastically worse, and I was like hearing voices, like watching people walk around who were never there. It was really like heavy psychosis. That, I'm, I'm, I don't want to distract from the story, but was that a result of specific drug? Because I always found PCP. Oh, dude, I had great ones on PCP. Like I, yeah, I remember one time in Denver, lying in a hotel room, and there were like ten people standing around my bed, and I was like, I, I don't know if they're real or not. And I would close my eyes, and like ten minutes later, open my eyes, like those same people are standing around my bed, and it's yep. like, oh yeah, this is this is angel dust. Let me tell you about dances going on around the bed. And I'm talking about my lady Lux dancing around my bed when she finds out that I've just had a Blue Chew tablet. That's right, Blue Chew tablets with the same active ingredient as both Viagra and Cialis, which make time in bed with my lady just way more fun. Explosive if I do say so myself. And man, if you haven't tried this, then let me recommend it to you because it makes getting in bed with your lady a lot more fun. And if you want to get an entire month's supply of Blue Chew tablets completely for free, then I got good news for you because that's what you're going to get if you go to bluechew.com and use the promo code Stevo. You go to bluechew.com, Promo code Stevo. Consult with the medical provider right there online. Within a couple minutes, you've got your prescription. You got an entire month's supply of Blue Chew tablets headed your way for free. All you have to pay is five bucks for shipping. Man, this is arguably the best deal that we've ever had on the Wild Ride Podcast. And if you still have not tried Blue Chew tablets, then I think it is time. So one more time, go to bluechew.com, use the promo code Stevo to get your month's supply of Blue Chew tablets completely for free. All you pay is five bucks for shipping. Now, let's get back to it. This, you know, Same people yeah. showed up every time? That in that one night, yeah, like they just it was just this group of ten people standing around the bed, and like so it wasn't like a shifting hallucination where it was like, oh, it's my grandmother, and now she's a donkey. It was like, oh, it's just some random guy and nine other people standing around my bed. Did you try having conversations with these people? You, thought I was a little scared saw? of them, so I was like, and I was also like, you know, I don't, I don't know if they're real, so maybe if I ignore them, they'll go away. <laughs> yeah, and they didn't. Do you think that you, like drops? Sorry, no, go for it. Do you think that like drops the veil of like a dimension, so they actually exist in another dimension, or is it just some chemical going off of in your head? I personally have no idea. Uh, I mean, the universe is such a complicated place, yeah. so it's like it could be some other dimension it could be we could be holograms who i I don't know the truth of anything um i do know that when i woke up in the morning they were not there and there was no evidence that these 10 people had been in my hotel room yeah so in our limited reality they didn't seem to have much of a presence What, what about ketamine for hallucinations ketamine is pharmaceutical pcp yeah i i only ever did ketamine in conjunction with 20 other things usually at five o'clock in the morning and so like i don't even know what ketamine i've heard ketamine is a phenomenal antidepressant like it's a last stage antidepressant for people with real clinical depression i've also heard that if you inject it the exact amount for your body weight it's the most profound psychedelic drug on the planet this guy alexander shulkin who was a chemist wrote about it 
but mainly it's a rave drug. You know, people would do it and they'd go into these catatonic K-holes. Mm. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite place to be. So, um, oh, but okay, so we're getting so, back yeah. to Michelle Cho and, and right. not, not eating mink burgers. Right. <laughs> yeah. The, what made me have the most profound hallucin, hallucinations, tactile, you know, uh, audio hearing mm-hmm. voices and, you know, seeing people what was um days into cocaine benders binging on cocaine for multiple days while inhaling oh, uh, nitrous oxide oh nice combo to the exclusion of air <laughs> as much as possible and i would hold in the nitrous and nitrous then- is still one of the greatest drugs like and the fact like it's also okay now maybe i shouldn't even say this but i'm gonna in the interest of full disclosure and like we're only sick as our secrets, there have been a couple times in sobriety when I've gone to have root canals done and had nitrous and it, boy, it's still great. Like oh, I'm not, I, I didn't want to do more. I went, when it was done, I didn't like Oof. rush out to try and buy more nitrous, but I got to say, even in sobriety, a little nitrous high, <laughs> do I need to start counting days again? That's a, that's a, that's what you call a free lap. That's yeah. what my my sponsor said that he was like he was like, did you take it as prescribed? I was like, oh, absolutely. He's like, yeah. and when it was done, did you run out to buy more? Yeah. No, it didn't even cross my mind. He's like, then enjoy it. Like you had a you had a free lapse. Yeah, you get, I, you get I, all your dental work done without anything. I've never had nitrous from the dentist that I'm aware of ever. But you should with the like the work the that amount of shit that I've had <laughs> in my mouth. Yeah, um, I, I have looked forward to general anesthesia in ways that creeped me out that I felt that I needed to speak up about with my home group. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in, in any case, I had wild hallucinations, all kinds of stuff, and and I was so fascinated by the these this phenomena that that it was so real, and I do believe that that um, that the, these substances somehow eroded the barriers between dimensions, and 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 sadly opened me up to very low frequency kind of stuff. I mean, there's different ways to kind of open yourself up to higher frequency drugs, pretty mm-hmm. low frequency. So I had a lot of demon activity going on. And uh, I, I hallucinated like full interventions where 10 people showed up to tell me that they were worried about me and they were never there. Um, and you were having conversations with these people. I was having all kinds of conversations yeah. with, with people and, and, and voices and, and all that. And so I, I just felt that I was privy to like other dimensional entity activity and so fascinated by it that I, I just took to the internet and searched like sp- spirits, spiritual, you know, like I just wanted to, to had some kind of an understanding of what I was privy to. And in my search, I came across this video of uh, a Krishna consciousness guru from India. He was an Indian guy. And he just simply said the words, how can you expect to be saved if you eat meat? It was just like, you could tell, I could tell watching this guy say that, that, that the idea of eating meat and expecting to find salvation, it was just so preposterous to him. He was just so confused by it. Like, we're here in this human jam, and, and I think that most like religions agree that the idea is to be saved or to ascend, you know, it's some kind of like, and, and but how can you expect if you eat meat? And, and, and just like that, flipped hmm. a switch flipped a switch i thought oh my god like i'm i'm not going to be saved because i'm eating me i gotta stop 
and and in that moment, I also thought, but Jesus was a fisherman, <laughs> so fish is cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, now, I, where I stand today, I don't believe Jesus had anything to do with fishing or eating fish, but I see the biggest problem. I believe is factory farming. I think without that question we can agree with that. Yeah, factory farming, and I think that as it relates to like salmon farming, fish farming, like if there's any like less bad version of factory farming, I would believe that it is fish farming. Yeah, I don't actually know enough about like aquaculture. I mean, but we can definitely agree like. Yes. And, and even non-vegans, non-animal rights people will agree that factory farming is horrifying. Absolutely you know? awful. Um, and so I almost feel like, going back to the earlier point, and for stating, I'm going to state the obvious, rather than people like meat eaters fighting vegans and vegans fighting other vegans and right. vegetarians fighting vegans, it's just agree on that one thing. Factory farming is terrible. Yeah. We should stop subsidizing it. Because that's the other thing. I, I wrote a book. It was an academic book about 12 years ago about largely about subsidies and and agriculture and a family of four if they went to mcdonald's without subsidies you know without direct federal state local subsidies it would cost them about 90 dollars to to feed themselves at mcdonald's like every part of meat and dairy is so heavily subsidized every part of factory farming is subsidized so that's what i'm personally trying to work on is how do you address that and stop spending our tax dollars on an industry that's making people sick and killing animals. Yeah. And then even worse than the the slaughter in factory farm, it's just the life that these Oh absolutely, the, yeah. The, the 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 worst thing of all, like in in my view, is the life of a dairy cow in a factory farming environment because they really have zero free range. They literally live like that tiger in the circus, just like... And the pigs as well. Pigs live in these gestation crates. And if you've seen them, like they're not allowed to stand up, they're not allowed to turn around, and they spend their entire lives just being made pregnant and giving birth to more pigs. Um, Yeah, it's... It's grim. And I've gone to, there's this organization called Animal Save, where you go to slaughterhouses and you just bear witness to animals as they're being brought into the slaughterhouse. And it's so intense. Um, Joaquin went there after he won the Golden Globe. It was funny. Uh, he showed up wearing a tuxedo. It was really inspiring. But I think he went with Michelle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's really good friends with him and Rooney and Rooney's yeah. sister, Kate. Uh, but what's fascinating and so profoundly depressing about witnessing animals who are about to be killed is you realize that death is like the only mercy they're going to experience. Like the only thing that's going to like reduce their suffering is dying. Sure. And I sort of, if, if I put myself in that perspective, like if I was a pig on a factory farm, the only thing you have to look forward to is dying. And that is really profoundly depressing. Sorry for bringing... Oh, no, I mean, She turned fine. to light, more lighthearted stuff. <laughs> like. It's fine. It's, it's important mm-hmm. to talk about. And, yeah. and I think that, um, again, shaming people is not the answer. I think um, it, it's, it's just a really tricky thing. Somebody said very, very validly that if all slaughterhouses had glass walls... Yeah, Paul McCartney they, said that, yeah. Yeah, that uh, nobody would eat meat, you know. Um, and, and, By the and way, I, I, I have a favor to ask you guys. Yeah. 
is it possible that I could take two minutes and go pee really quickly? Yeah, yeah of course. For sure, man. Oh, for sure. We can cut it right here. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll come back and we're do just it. about yeah, an hour. Okay. We like uh, can I? Yeah, for so sure. So I don't want I don't want to interrupt, but at the same time, I'm like a little distracted by how badly I have to pee Please, right now. Please go yeah. pee. If you, if you want, we got a toilet right here too. I mean, I could use that. I can go pee in the, in the yard. <laughs> yeah, whatever you want. Oh, is it still recording? Or yeah, yeah everything still recording. Okay, so one thing unrelated to sobriety, veganism, uh, murders in Connecticut is so I'm sitting here looking, and I know that podcasts are not necessarily a visual medium, but you guys do have cameras. Yeah. You have a lot of tattoos. I do. To state the obvious. Uh-huh. I find great comfort in stating the obvious. But one that I love is the Alfred E. Newman Misfits tattoo. Yeah. That is re- that's really special. Well, thank you. Um, you know, Doyle from the Misfits, he's, uh-huh. a, he's a super militant vegan. Wow, dude. Now, let me tell you this. My first pet was a hamster, which <laughs> oh because God. of... The Misfits. I I named him Doyle. Wow. My my hamster was named Doyle, and at the the time when I got Doyle, I was skateboarders. It's strange. I, I even had like X's on my hands at some point. Listen to the Gorilla Biscuits YouTube mm-hmm. today. All this straight edge stuff, and then um, that that was tenth grade and eleventh grade. I sampled a marijuana cigarette. And, uh, jazz cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, it's just so crazy how immediate I put down the skateboard, I picked up the weed and you know, my grades nose dived. Like I just like, so you were like a walking after school special. Yeah. yeah. And, and Doyle died of thirst. Poor little Doyle Whoa. the hamster. Yeah. You're late. Hamster I, Doyle. In, in 10th grade, I had this, uh, like he was like a 95 year old major of world war ii we called him the mage and uh he was in a wheelchair and and could not uh get around to do stuff so we would go uh, my buddy and i we would go and um get him in his wheelchair and take him to the post office everything they needed to do and this guy really relied on us you know it was like a, a part of an extracurricular after school program my buddy moved away i kept wheeling the mage around by myself and then I sampled that marijuana cigarette and I stopped seeing the mage. And and he would leave these like heartbreaking voicemails, Steve, Steve, like put down the weed. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> where are you? Like oh, uh, please help mage. me. So and it was like so heartbreaking. And like and, and I was just like, oh, you know, just delete. And 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 so the mage and Doyle were like the first two real indicators that the I was just. Can we get a moment of silence for Doyle? Maybe an absolute. And the mage. And the mage. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolute terrible. Like, it made me just a terrible person right away. So, kind of a perfect little self involved dovetail of two of the things we've been talking about. So, I put out my first movie a couple months ago the Punk Rock Vegan movie. Punk Rock Vegan movie. Yeah. And so, it's about the history of punk rock and animal rights. Bad but, Brains is at the core of it. Yeah, so it was HR, but I interviewed everybody you're talking about. You know, Walter and Arthur from Gorilla, Gorilla Biscuit. So Ray and Parcel from Youth of Today, they used to be in a band called Violent Children. And in the early 80s, my punk rock band, Vatican Commandos, used to play with them in Connecticut. You know, in Bridgeport at this place called Pogo's. So I made this documentary about 
about the history of punk rock and animal rights, the most intimidating interview was Ian Mackay okay. from, Minor, from Minor Threat and Fugazi. Discord. Because, yeah, I mean, that's like Ian Mackay was the godfather. And it reminded me, he's also the first rock star I ever met. So in 1982, 83, uh, I went to go see Minor Threat in New York City. And he was loading up equipment after the show. And I went over and introduced myself. And I had the X on the back of my hand. And I introduced my, myself to Ian Mackay. And I said, Mr. Mackay, my name is Moby. I'm such a huge fan of you and your band. And he was like, okay. But also, <laughs> I was a very conflicted straight edge person because I was very drunk when this happened. So I was I identified as straight edge, but I drank and did drugs because I didn't really know what straight edge. Oh, I wow. thought straight edge was like, oh, I like punk rock and I have an X on the back of my hand. Um, I didn't know there was anything beyond that. This is 1981, 1982. Like straight edge had just been invented. Okay. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, yeah, we didn't talk about punk rock, man. I like we we, we were we had a conversation with Fred Armisen the other day talking about the best yeah. punk rock albums of all time, and. Uh, and I was, I was thinking, man, I against I, Bad Brains. And then he said that it was on, on his list. I would go with the Roar cassette. It's the, it's the same. It's I against I, but the first version of I against I. Okay. At least I think it is. So basically there was this cassette-only label in New York called Roar, R-O-I-R. -R, and the Bad Brains made the, an album on Roar. And sonically, and I'm just being such a nerd, it's a little more interesting than the final version that they released. Okay. Um, but yeah, best punk rock records. Do you guys want to weigh in? I mean, I'm also older, so like my perspective, like, is is probably more of an old guy perspective. Fugazi, thirteen songs, I think. Is I go with that damn, one. Pretty damn good. Like Misfits, they they might might be in there. Um, I would say Dead Kennedys, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables. Um, Tegel Abortions, Fetus Your Fetus. <laughs> I don't know that one. Fetus and Fetus. Um, no. Yeah, Tegel Abortions, I don't know if they're all time. <laughs> I mean, I would say Damage by Black Flag is pretty flawless. Uh, Discharge, they're one of my, f I don't know if you ever liked Discharge. They're a British hardcore band. Okay, they're I'm not familiar really, with them. The, kind of like that, that when, when hardcore punk started to sound like metal. Like there were other okay. bands like DRI. Yeah, crossover, DRI. Yeah, and now a, a lot of like contemporary hardcore sound is like almost indistinguishable from super fast speed metal. Yeah. But back then it was Discharge were like the first punk rock band to really sort of sound like almost more like a metal band, but they're great. I listened yeah. to a lot of Crass in high school. I had we the, got, the cassette. We got to interview Steve Ignorant because he's the original punk rock vegan. Like he's sort of started the whole thing um before hr yeah yeah so steve ignorant was like the first like you, like i mean well he okay he and hr and then there's a band called millions of dead cops also sure, multi, mu multi death corporation so yeah, dave, dave dictor christians yep um so dave <laughs> dictor from mdc i'd say him steve ignorant and hr from bad brains they're like the three original animal rights punk rockers vegan punk rockers and um, John Joseph from the Cro-Mags became yeah. vegan when he was a roadie for Bad Brains. Yep. Yeah. He's in, you, you, I, I presumptuously think you might really enjoy this documentary. I really, you know what? Because it's everybody that you're, it's, 
everybody you're talking about is interviewed yeah, in the documentary. I, I, I even said to your guy when we got here, I said, I'm so woefully unprepared for this. I haven't seen the the vegan. I'm, I, oh. I feel like I genuinely owe you an apology, and oh, I'm okay. dying to see it. I don't expect How anyone do- to watch it. I just think because it's everybody yeah. that you're name-checking is in the movie. Now, where could people find the doc? Yeah. It's for free. Um, because I made a movie a couple of years ago, self-involvedly. It's a documentary about me. Nice. <laughs> and we went the conventional route of like selling it and it's on Hulu and it disappeared mm-hmm. because it, it, it went the more commercial route. But as you know, like if, if it's not on the homepage of Hulu or Netflix, no one's ever going to see it. Mm-hmm. And so with this movie, I thought, okay, let's give it away for free. And that way, if pe- anyone in the world can watch it, doesn't by definition, doesn't cost anything. And so it's on YouTube, it's on Vimeo, and it's, and it's also the distribution approach is completely anarchic, where we're letting people download it and do whatever they want with it. That's cool. Like a bunch of hardcore bands in South America are doing a tour and playing the movie in between sets. Mm. And they wrote to us and they're like, is that okay? I was like, yes, of course it's okay. <laughs> like we're giving the movie away for free for people to do whatever they want with it. That's, That's awesome. awesome, man. That's awesome. <laughs> and and your, your new album, I haven't heard that. Tell us about the, the new album. Oh, so to put it in a little bit of perspective, in the mid-80s, I was living in an abandoned factory in Stamford, Connecticut, in a crack neighborhood, and I was making around $2,000 a year. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't have running water. I didn't have a bathroom. And I was working in a record store. And I never thought I would have a record deal. I never thought I would make music that anyone would pay attention to. And one of my jobs was putting away classical records in the record store. And there was this label, Deutsche Grammophon, which is the oldest classical music label in the world. Fast forward decades later, I played a show with the Los Angeles Philharmonic. And afterwards, Deutsche Grammophon approached me to see if I wanted to make an orchestral greatest hits record. And I was like, this is so weird because like my introduction to Deutsche Grammophon was when I was living in an abandoned factory in a crack neighborhood. Wow. So that's what the new album is. And then so I, I did a first record with them with so many different guest vocalists, everybody from Chris Christofferson and Mark Lanigan and Jim James from My Morning Jacket. And now we did, that was the first one was called Reprise and this one's called Resound. And it's the same thing, like big orchestra, lots of drums as well, but then tons of different guest vocalists crazy that's great um when you because you have music in a lot of movies yeah and there's a couple questions i wanted to ask you about that um you, you've done the beach you've done heat you've done all the the born movies is there a favorite movie that that you have your music in i also had um music and this was not my favorite i loved his show but i had i had music in the tom green movie Oh, okay. <laughs> Which one? The Freddy Got Fingered? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Boy, it, and that's, that's I, I really like him. I appreciate his show. I love his show so much. That movie is definitely not a a high watermark in cinematic <laughs> history. Funny. I love that movie. I love that movie. <laughs> it's a but classic. He's great. I'm, I, I feel yeah. bad even saying that, but I was so excited for that movie and like it, it yeah. So in any case, <laughs> of all the movies I've done music for, uh, the beach every, is pretty iconic. Beach, and also I did like uh, for a James Bond movie. Yeah, wow, that's um, cool. All, so many different, and worked with everybody. You know, from David Lynch to Oliver Stone to Michael Mann to Danny wow. Boyle. Sure, but the one that is the best one, 
hands down, that I'm most proud of that no one has seen is Southland Tales by Richard Kelly. So Richard Kelly wrote and directed Donnie Darko. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after Donnie Darko was a big success, they let him make this movie called Southland Tales. Hmm. And it got booed at Cannes (laughs) and everyone walked out. And... My favorite review, I think, was in New York Magazine. The journal because it got just panned across the board. Everyone hated it. But the journalist in New York Magazine said, "I don't even know if this is a good or a bad movie, but it's so batshit crazy, I can't review it." Wow. And but it's also got the weirdest cast. The Rock is in it. Wow. Um, Justin Timberlake, Amy Poehler, um, Wally Shawn, who was uh, in Princess Bride. You know the the little in, inconceivable yeah yeah so it's it's such a strange movie no one has seen it maybe five people have seen it <laughs> did you make the music for that uh movie or did you already have the music in you because licensing was a big thing for you yeah i had a lot of the music was sort of written and i gave it to richard and then he just sort of developed it as score and it's also very well the original cut was almost four hours long and it's about a, a, a very baffling apocalypse in Los Angeles. It's kind of like Repo Man. Like it's it's Repo Man, but longer and no punk rock. And you are the music for the entire. Yeah. Wow. It's it's really if you're there if if you've got some time to kill, watch it because it's such a strange movie. And I just in this world where so much culture is so predictable and uninspiring. This is not that. This is such a weird... It's worth watching just because it's so unique. Where can people see that? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tony Hawk has a skateboard company called Birdhouse, which in 1998 released a skateboard film called The End, which prominently featured new music in fantastic fashion. And I wonder if... um, if uh, if you knew about that, I sort of did. So, skateboarding is something that has always scared me. <laughs> and when I say scared, what I mean is, so I started skating in seventh grade, and I had this little like plastic board with like these little ball bearing wheels, and in the spirit of full disclosure and honesty, I was just not good at it. Yeah. Like I would go down a hill and fall down every time. It's like tough. I, and then when I started DJing, I used a skateboard to push my records around, and so I got to the point where I could go from like point A to point B on a skateboard and almost fall down part of the time, as opposed to all the time. So, yeah. <laughs> so I have always sort of resented good skateboarders because I I tried. Like I really yeah. wanted to be like a cool skateboard kid I just I sucked at it so I appreciate skate culture especially the intersection of like skate culture and hardcore culture yeah um but I've always been a little resentful maybe I need to do a fourth step around skate culture (laughs) because I'm so intimidated by like these cool guys and they had like cool sneakers and cool shorts and the girls liked them 
So at age 57, it's time for me to finally address, finally address my resentment towards skateboard culture. It, it, what's really interesting about that, it was shot on 16 millimeter film, except Tony Hawk's part was shot on 35 millimeter film. It was like just a, for a skateboard video and being on, it was just a staggering budget that they wow. shot it with. And, um, I don't know that it ever made it to money back. Plus, they in in one scene, they uh, they used music from Queen, and got the cease and desist from Queen, and then had to <clears throat> like re-release it with different music. And um, so, so that's when they added mine. They're like, "Oh, we can't get the good music. So we'll just throw a Moby song in there because no, he'll no. license his music to anything." No, I, I, and, and I, I just I wonder if if they went back and took away everything. If if uh, it'd be so sad if your music wasn't in there. You'd like I I'm dying to show you the like Steve Barra's part. Oh, oof. But I'm just going to be intimidated because I'm, I'm just going to make me, I'm going to be like, oh, wow, look it, at these great, <laughs> handsome, athletic people. Like, wow, I'm just going to go inside and like jerk off and watch TV. <laughs> it, um, it, you know, it rem reminds me too, skate culture. Um, I, I was in eighth grade, ninth grade. Uh, one of my closest friends and skateboard buddies is a mutual friend of ours, Charles Gooden. Oh, wow. Yeah. I actually just saw Charles last weekend. Yeah, I love him. I didn't know that you and Charles were friends. Yep, we we, we, uh, we recreated a photo that we took in 1989, like I, I don't know how many decades later. Hmm. But we, I, I love doing that, like recreating old photos. Um, you know, he's and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but he's also in our our cult. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's also a friend of Bill's. Yeah, <laughs> he, he lives yeah. in Los Feliz. Yeah, I used to see him over at the uh, Lassens. Yep. Yeah. Your junior high buddy. Yeah. He's the best. Yeah. He's the best. And, and man, like, uh, I, I'm going I'm to watch this. It's the punk rock vegan movie. Yeah. The, the name, the original title, which I kind of wish I went with, but um, the original title was Fuck You Were Vegan. <laughs> no, that's but then I realized, you know. Yeah, that could be yeah. kind of productive. So, <laughs> yeah. And then I just thought, like, you know, in the spirit of snakes on a plane, let me just call it the punk rock vegan movie because it's about punk rock and veganism. Like, it's, yeah. there, there's no guesswork as to what the movie's about. Right. And it's, a, it's also, it's a ridiculous, it's, it's a, on one hand, a very earnest look at the history of punk rock and animal rights. It's also completely ridiculous. Like, there's a period where um, I explain the history of punk rock to a dog Nice. Um, also, I, I'm dressed up as the devil, <laughs> not just, but like with full red makeup. So nice. like sort of inspired by the cinematic history of movies like Head or, okay. you know, so there's, there's a lot of absurdity and ridiculousness. It's not just yeah. serious, angry, judgmental animal rights stuff. I, I, I love it. I love it. I can't wait to watch I'm it. I'm definitely going to watch it. Do you I, remember the, the Gorilla Biscuit song, Cats and Dogs? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, from, from their, uh, uh, what was it, Future Direction? or their, their, That EP, I put that Gorilla Biscuits EP with Big Mouth, Hold mm -hmm. Your Ground. At, even though it's an EP, I put that on my top five, you know, punk yeah. rock of all time. The, Des the, deservedly so. The follow-up album... Uh, one Direction or, 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 or whatever it was called. It was really funny in that 
every single song was them mad at something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, without, like, without any exceptions. There was a song where they were mad at procrastination. There's a song they're mad at uh, watching TV. We've become, become obsessed with TV. They're mad at... There's a song they're mad at racism. There's a song there's, they're mad at yeah, eating animals, cats and dogs. So, for, for the movie, um, Jonathan, who you met, who I work with... He and his brother, he has a twin brother. Their background is classical music and choral music. His brother is a choral director for a symphony in Texas. Mm. So they, I had them do a choir version of Cats and Dogs. And so we brought the choir to an animal sanctuary and filmed this choir in robes singing Cats and Dogs while a bunch of like rescued pigs walk around. It's a genius song. I mean, the, the premise of this song is, you know, uh, what under the table he'll eat your dinner like the veggies you can't stand what kind of meal would he make we don't want to ask it tradition is all that keeps him alive but like why why do cats and dogs why are they so lucky you know yeah. like uh why like why do we have this profound reverence for cats and dogs but every other animal like gets n- yeah. absolutely no that love was, that it. was that's what turned me vegetarian and vegan such a long time ago as I said like that experience of realizing like oh a cow has two eyes and a central nervous system and a desire to be happy yeah my cat Tucker had two eyes and a central nervous system and a desire to stay alive and be happy my highest goal in life is to start an animal sanctuary with my fiance we're actually waiting to get married on the property which we're gonna buy for this animal sanctuary. This is where we wanna retire, this is our our whole thing. And um, then my, 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 my inspiration for that, other than just wanting to be around animals and loving mm-hmm. them, is to, uh, to foster an environment where people can have an exchange looking into the eyes of a cow or just like. It's, it's funny you mention that because I lived in New York for a long time and as mentioned, as I keep mentioning, because I'm a loudmouth, I've been a vegan for 36 years, but most of that time was not spent with animals, you know, except for yeah. the occasional pigeon, the occasional cockroach, the occasional rescued dog. <laughs> but when I moved to L.A., I went up to Gentle Barn. Uh-huh. Actually, no, sorry, it was Farm Sanctuary. They're right next to each other. Yeah. And I went up to Farm Sanctuary and I met a rescued cow named Bruno. And I had this moment, and it's gonna sound either really simple or profound. For me, it was very profound. I looked Bruno in the eyes, and Bruno looked back at me, and we had a connection. And all of a sudden, I realized, oh, this is not academic. Like, every animal is an individual, you know? Big time. With personality, with, and the, and it's a very self-evident fact, but when I was like living in New York, getting all my information from like, nothing against New York, but like I was getting information from like books, the internet, films, etc. there wasn't the real connection with an animal. And that one moment of like, you could almost say like a soul connection with this right. rescued cow, it, it just took my animal rights activism and made it that much deeper. Right. And I, I feel so strongly about the idea of, of starting this animal sanctuary because, again, I've been so frustrated 
by the infighting. I've been so like um, like the 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 militants. I, I think just the the documentaries about veganism that lie to people about the science of you know mm-hmm. that drives me nuts people fighting about you're not doing enough drives me nuts the idea of shaming anybody for anything is just counterproductive to me and i just want to share my own experience and i'd love for people to have their own experience to arrive at their own conclusions with no, mm-hmm. with no shame with no shame just provide people opportunities to interact with animals and have that that realization that that thought that you just described Maybe you could do like you could take a circus and flip it on his head where like the animals are the trainers and like they train people to do tricks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Wendy Wendy's got me pretty well trained. I mean she's such a little yeah. gentle puppy. Well, like, let's look. talk about animals. I'm gonna rescue a lot lizard after this. <laughs> <laughs> that that just reminds me of being on tour. Boy oh boy. Yeah, the first time I went on tour, I had this, it dovetailed to a bunch of things we've talked about. This huge truck driver who was driving our tour bus named Gene, and he was so diabetic. And he only ate at Denny's, and he wouldn't <laughs> exercise, and unfortunately he didn't live very long. But he, uh, yeah, that... the He liked lot lizards. Lot lizards were... I think they're a vice of many a tour bus driver out there. Yeah, it's like, and I just thought, because I had never been in a truck stop before. I'd never been on a tour bus before. I'd never, I don't think I'd ever been in Texas before. And like you pull into those huge truck stops yeah. and you're like, oh my God, it's a world unto itself. They have and, barber shops inside of them. It's the whole deal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, those, the, the stores at truck stops, and I assume everybody in the world has experienced this, but like you go in, you can buy like everything from like... At Bucky's. Yeah, like <laughs> wigs and CDs and eight tracks mm-hmm. and pep pills and yeah. boy, there, those are remarkable little apocalyptic places. They have great flannels there. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've definitely on tour, I've worn, you know, like you're, it's in the middle of February and you're like, I'm freezing cold. Let me stock up on $6 flannels For at the sure. truck stop. Yeah, we, we all spend a lot of time on tour. Um, well, dude, I got to say, man, it's, uh, this has been so enjoyable. And uh, it, it, it st- struck me, I was listening to, uh, I'm not even sure which one, but A-sides and B-sides, like just the, the whole thing. And I, I was laying in the bathtub and I was like thinking about all, all my times being conflicted or, or you know, just... Th- Thing. And I was like, man, I really want to just talk about talk about animals, and and mm-hmm. and, it was, and and I just didn't even imagine that we would talk about so many things, and that it would be so enjoyable. Well, thank you guys for coming, yeah. parking in my driveway, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hanging out. Okay, so before we go, I have a couple of questions for you guys. Insofar as you can answer, the sure. first one's going to be an easy answer. Second one, maybe less so. First one is. Who are some of the best guests that you've had? Hmm. I always like Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was fun. Mike, Mike Tyson w- was fun. Um, Didn't you try to like, you ran into his I fist? Did. I did. Yeah. I broke my nose on his fist. <laughs> yeah. um, I think that the best conversations, my top two favorite were Duncan Trussell and Kevin Smith. And... Hmm. I say that because those were the ones that I felt were the most uh, 
meaningful discussions of spirituality and uh, just what's going on in the universe. Hmm. Kevin yeah. Smith. I know. I know. Kevin's a vegan now too. Ah, uh, yeah, because he had to. He had you know, his daughter Harley Quinn militant animal rights activist and mm. uh she got him to go vegan he lost like a hundred and some odd pounds yeah. and he had to he yeah his story about the heart attack was was pretty intense um you know the the idea that uh that the brain is not uh the generator of consciousness but rather a receiver of consciousness is uh, is something that we're pretty fascinated with, and and um, Scott here is a diehard fan of of um, accounts of near death experiences mm-hmm. on on YouTube and stuff. And there seems to be a lot of evidence of consciousness being transmitted to the brain mm-hmm. rather than just generated by the brain. And um, those discussions with Kevin Smith and Duncan Trussell stand above every everything else i mean it sort of it stands to reason in a universe that's 15 billion years old like every single part of us every single part of everything (laughs) is 15 billion years old Mm -hmm. so like i've been a human for 57 years the matter i'm comprised of has been a pigeon it's been a star it's been an asteroid it's been over 15 billion years, all these different things. So, like, how could you build a brain out of matter that's 15 billion years old and not and have it be disconnected from that 15 yeah. billion year old history? So it makes, I think, logically, it actually makes a decent amount of sense. Do you believe in past lives? I don't know. There's, I mean, I believe in the complexity of things, and I just, I just don't know. So like almost every spiritual belief I have is like, I look at the universe and I'm like, wow, the universe is so complicated and so fascinating, but I don't have any specific beliefs except maybe like when possible, try not to harm things. Yeah. Yeah. So fantastic. Okay. So, so Kevin Smith, um, Duncan Trussell and Mike Tyson. I've only been on the show for like 15 episodes now. So, but Benny Blanco was kind of dope. Music producer. Yeah, he's yeah. a music producer. Yeah, he was a lot of fun. Um, and so now here's the part that you guys might not want to use. Who's been terrible? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the guy that we talked about in the last episode where we couldn't air his podcast, people are dying to know who it was. Oh, but, are they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were yeah. like, I wonder who, who it was. We, don't, we, we had one guy who was just like tragically loaded, and um, it would have been... It would have been a bad look for us to do that to him. Mm-hmm. It would have been a disservice to that person for us to to put that episode yeah. out. And it also um, didn't, it, the 10 minutes in, I was like, oh, well, hey, man, that's great, dude. We're, we're good. Yeah, he so, didn't, it didn't even register. He did, thought he'd did, been going for an hour. Did you Have you talked to him since then? I don't even think that it, that it had been going... You know, no, he, what happened was he kept fumbling the like. Remember on Zoom when you had to do it from yeah. your phone, and you couldn't like. Where's the mute button? And then you'd hit something, and the, the screen would black out. And, and then as like he kept trying him. to, <laughs> yeah, as he kept trying to, it, he just got that was the least drunker and drunker and drunker. Technical. I mean, it was a ten minute operation. Was, just, was it Barack Obama? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, better. But, no, but um, rather, but yeah, we're not we're not inclined to to name the individual. But uh, you have a podcast too now. 
Yeah, my friend Lindsay and I started one, and it's honestly, I, I love it. Like, I'll tell you what, I, I would love to just keep talking to you for, for hours more because I've been enjoying it so much, but maybe we could do that on your podcast, great. and we could um, arrange to publish them at the same time and have them drive traffic to each other. Awesome. I love it. Um, the one last thing I was going to say is, by the way, thank you guys for having me on. But also, I could imagine people coming onto your podcast and assuming like, oh, this is going to be like jackass. This is going to yeah. be like, just like insults and ridiculousness and we're going to slap each other and throw mm. eggs at each other's faces. And But the fact that it's very earnest, it's very thoughtful. It's funny as well, but I, I'd imagine some people might be surprised by that. Well... It has to do with the guest, you know, mm -hmm. too. So, yeah, good guest goes a, a long way. I think that I've uh, I've worked very hard over the years to conceal anything thoughtful about this, <laughs> and, and that this podcast has largely revealed me to be um, a little bit more than than the guy on Jackass, and and I'm proud of that. I mean, I have to say, I have not. I think it was the first Jackass movie. I saw it on tour. And I laughed harder. The only other time I've laughed harder in a theater was South Park, Bigger, Longer, Uncut. Mm. Nice. So, like, whew. Nice. Well, thank you for that, and, and I appreciate the kind words, man. So, well, we'll figure out a time to do your podcast. We'll put them up together. Great, because I think you live around the corner. Pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Right on, man. Thank you, um, Moby. I have to sneeze. I don't want to. Uh, <laughs> Come on, hold it. You, you can face me. That's yeah. what Steve always does. Wherever you are. <laughs> now, are you with me? Is Moby epic? I love the guy. And I'm going to peel back the curtain a little bit right here. We recorded that with Moby before I went to the UK. Just got back from the UK. And let me tell you that my bucket list special taping was the best night of my life. I mean, I've been I've woken up every morning since the taping and like I, I can't even believe it was real. I just it was so epic. Wow. And now that I'm back, um, we're, I'm, I'm getting together with Moby again to record an episode of his podcast. And I believe I don't know if you can turn it around in 24 hours to get him up at the same time. But there might be a, it might be a double banger. I might even be able to say, hey, click here. I don't know. But uh, but I love Moby, and I love you. So thank you, as always, for sticking around to the end. And you know what? Give Moby some love. Tell him, tell him you love him. He feels like he's hated. Come on. Tell him you love him, because I do. All right. Thanks, guys.